chapter fourteen part two of gilbert keith chesterton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. gilbert keith chesterton by maisie ward chapter fourteen part two in the book on shaw which appeared in august nineteen o nine g k did as he had done with his other literary studies gave inaccurately only as much biography as seemed absolutely necessary and mainly discussed ideas he saw shaw as an irishman yet lacking the roots of nationality since he belonged to a mainly alien governing class he saw him as a puritan yet without the religious basis of puritanism and thirdly he saw him as so swift a progressive as to be ahead of his own thought and ready to slay it in the name of progress all these elements in shaw made for strength but also created limitations shaw is like the venus of milo all that there is of him is admirable where he fails is in being unable to see and embrace the full complexity of life his only paradox is to pull out one thread or cord of truth longer and longer into waste and fantastic places he does not allow for that deeper sort of paradox by which two opposite cords of truth become entangled in an inextricable knot still less can he be made to realize that it is often this knot which ties safely together the whole bundle of human life here lies the limitation of that lucid and compelling mind he cannot quite understand life because he will not accept its contradictions humanity is built of these contradictions therefore shaw pities humanity more than he loves it it was his glory that he pitied animals like men it was his defect that he pitied men almost too much like animals foulon said of the democracy let them eat grass shaw said let them eat greens he had more benevolence but almost as much disdain as a vegetarian and a water-drinker shaw himself lacked in chesterton's eyes something of complete humanity and in discussing social problems he was more economist than man shaw one might almost say dislikes murder not so much because it wastes the life of the corpse as because it wastes the time of the murderer this lack of the full human touch is felt even in the plays because shaw cannot be irrational where humanity always is irrational in candida it is completely and disastrously false to the whole nature of falling in love to make the young eugene complain of the cruelty which makes candida defile her fair hands with domestic duties no boy in love with a beautiful woman would ever feel disgusted when she peeled potatoes or trimmed lamps he would like her to be domestic he would simply feel that the potatoes had become poetical and the lamps gained an extra light this may be irrational but we are not talking of rationality but of the psychology of first love footnote no two love affairs are the same this sentence assumed that they are all the same to eugene 
the poet living in a world of imagination and abhorring reality candida was what dulcinea was to don quixote g b s and footnote it may be very unfair to women that the toil and triviality of potato peeling should be seen through a glamour of romance but the glamour is quite as certain a fact as the potatoes it may be a bad thing in sociology that men should deify domesticity in girls as something dainty and magical but all men do personally i do not think it a bad thing at all but that is another argument footnote george bernard shaw particular pages one twenty to one and footnote yet shaw's limitations are those of a great man and a genius in an age of narrow specialism he has stood up for the fact that philosophy is not the concern of those who pass through divinity and greats but of those who pass through birth and death in an age that has almost chosen death shaw follows the banner of life but austerely not joyously nowhere in dealing with shaw's philosophy does chesterton note his debt to butler shaw has himself mentioned it and no reader of butler could miss it especially in this matter of the life force it is the special paradox of our age chesterton notes that the life force should thus need assertion and can thus be followed without joy to every man and woman bird beast and flower life is a love call to be eagerly followed to bernard shaw it is merely a military bugle to be obeyed in short he fails to feel that the command of nature if one must use the anthropomorphic fable of nature instead of the philosophic term god can be enjoyed as well as obeyed he paints life at its darkest and then tells the babe on board to take the leap in the dark that is heroic and to my instinct at least schopenhauer looks like a pygmy beside his pupil but it is the heroism of a morbid and almost asphyxiated age it is awful to think that this world which so many poets have praised has even for a time been depicted as a man-trap into which we may just have the manhood to jump think of all those ages through which men have talked of having the courage to die and then remember that we have actually fallen to talking of having the courage to live footnote george bernard shaw weekend library page one hundred ninety end footnote here comes the great parting of the two men's thought g k believed in god and in joy but he saw that shaw had much of value for this strange diseased world his primary value was not merely as some said that he woke it up the literary world might not be awake to the social evil but it was painfully awake to the ills real or imaginary inherent in human life we do not need waking up rather we suffer from insomnia with all its results of fear and exaggeration and frightful waking dreams the modern mind is not a donkey which wants kicking to make it go on the modern mind is more like a motor-car on a lonely road which two amateur motorists have been just clever enough to take to pieces but are not quite clever enough to put together again footnote in the same place 
particular pages two hundred forty five to six and footnote shaw had not merely asked questions of the age that would have been worse than useless what he had done was at moments to rise above his own thoughts and give through his characters inspired answers g k instances candida with its revelation of the meaning of marriage when the woman stays with the strong man because he is so weak and needs her and shaw had brought back philosophy into drama that is he had recreated the atmosphere lost since shakespeare footnote hard on goethe and epson to say nothing of mozart's magic flute and beethoven's ninth symphony g b s end footnote in which men were thinking and might therefore find the answers that the age needed and here again we come back to the world which these men were shaking and to the respective philosophies with which they looked at it it was a world of conventions and these conventions had become empty of meaning throw them away said shaw and wells no said chesterton keep them and look for their meaning revolution does not mean destruction it means restoration the same sort of discussion buzzed around this book as around the controversies of which it might be called a prolongation shaw himself reviewed it in an article in the nation in which he called it the best work of literary art i have yet provoked everything about me which mr chesterton had to divine he has divined miraculously but everything that he could have ascertained easily by reading my own plain directions on the bottle as it were remains for him a muddled and painful problem from an interchange of private letters it would seem that the move to beaconsfield took place later in this year than i had supposed bernard shaw's letter is probably not written many days after an undated one to him from g k forty eight overstrand mansions battersea park southwest dear bernard shaw i trust our recent tournaments have not rendered it contrary to the laws of romantic chivalry which you reverence so much for me to introduce to you my friend mr pepler who is a very nice man indeed though a social idealist and who has i believe something of a practical sort to ask of you please excuse abruptness in this letter of introduction we are moving into the country and every piece of furniture i begin to write at is taken away and put into a van always yours sincerely g k chesterton ten adelphi terrace west central thirtieth october nineteen o nine chesterton shaw speaks attention i saw your man and consoled him spiritually but that is not the subject of this letter i still think that you could write a useful sort of play if you were started when i was in Kerry last month i had occasionally a few moments to spare and it seemed to me quite unendurable that you should be wasting your time writing books about me i liked the book very much especially as it was so completely free from my own influence being evidently founded on a very hazy recollection of a five-year-old perusal of man and superman but a lot of it was fearful nonsense there was one good thing about the scientific superstition which you came a little too late for it taught a man to respect facts 
you have no conscience in this respect and your punishment is that you substitute such dull inferences as my narrow puritan home for delightful and fantastic realities which you might very easily have ascertained if you had taken greater advantage of what is really the only thing to be said in favor of battersea namely that it is within easy reach of adelphi terrace however i have no doubt that when wilkins micawber jr grew up and became eminent in australia references were made to his narrow puritan home so i do not complain if you had told the truth nobody would have believed it now to business when one breathes irish air one becomes a practical man in england i used to say what a pity it was you did not write a play in ireland i sat down and began writing a scenario for you but before i could finish it i had come back to london and now it is all up with the scenario in england i can do nothing but talk i therefore now send you the thing as far as i scribbled it and i leave you to invent what escapades you please for the hero and to devise some sensational means of getting him back to heaven again unless you prefer to end with the millennium in full swing footnote the scenario dealt with the return of st augustine to the england he remembered converting in footnote but experience has made me very doubtful of the efficacy of help as the means of getting work out of the right sort of man when i was young i struck out one invaluable rule for myself which was whenever you meet an important man contradict him if possible insult him but such a rule is one of the privileges of youth i no longer live by rules yet there is one way in which you may possibly be insultable it can be plausibly held that you are a venal ruffian pouring forth great quantities of immediately saleable stuff but altogether declining to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven it may be that you cannot afford to do otherwise therefore i am quite ready to make a deal with you a full-length play should contain about eighteen thousand words mine frequently contain two or three times that number i do not know what your price per thousand is i used to be considered grossly extortionate by massingham and others for insisting on three pounds eighteen thousand words at three pounds per thousand is fifty-four pounds i need make no extra allowance for the republication in book form because even if the play aborted as far as the theatre is concerned you could make a book of it all the same let us assume that your work is worth twice as much as mine this would make one hundred eight pounds i have had two shockingly bad years of it pecuniarily speaking and am therefore in that phase of extravagance which straitened means have always produced in me knock off eight per cent as a sort of agent's commission to me for starting you on the job and finding you a theme this leaves one hundred pounds i will pay you a hundred pounds down on your contracting to supply me within three months with a mechanically possible in other words stageable drama dealing with the experiences of st augustine after revisiting england the literary copyright to be yours except that you are not to prevent me making as many copies as i may require for stage use 
the stage right to be mine but you are to have the right to buy it back from me for two hundred fifty pounds whenever you like footnote i could not very well offer him a hundred pounds as a present g b s and footnote the play if performed to be announced as your work and not as a collaboration all rights which i may have in the scenario to go with the stage right and literary copyright as prescribed as far as you may make use of it what do you say there is a lot of spending in one hundred pounds one condition more if it should prove impossible to achieve a performance otherwise than through the stage society which does not pay anything a resort to that body is not to be deemed a breach of the spirit of our agreement do you think it would be possible to make belloc write a comedy if he could only be induced to believe in some sort of god instead of in that wretched little conspiracy against religion which the pious romans have locked up in the vatican one could get some drive into him as it is he is wasting prodigious gifts in the service of king leopold and the pope and other ghastly scarecrows if he must have a pope there is quite a possible one at adelphi terrace for the next few days i shall be at my country quarters ayat st lawrence wellwyn hartsfordshire i have a motor-car which could carry me on sufficient provocation as far as beaconsfield but i do not know how much time you spend there and how much in fleet street are you only a week ender or has your wise wife taken you properly in hand and committed you to a pastoral life yours ever g bernard shaw p s remember that the play is to be practical in the common managerial sense only in respect of its being mechanically possible as a stage representation it is to be neither a likely to be successful play nor a literary lark it is to be written for the good of all souls among the reviewers of the book our old friend the academy surprised me by hating shaw so much more than chesterton that the latter came off quite lightly there was a good deal of the usual misunderstanding and lists were made of self-contradictions on the author's part still in the main the press was sympathetic and even enthusiastic but when shaw reviewed chesterton on shaw more than one paper waxed sarcastic on the point of royalties and remuneration gained by these means the funniest of the more critical comments on the way these men wrote of one another was a suggestion made in the bystander that shaw and chesterton were really the same person shaw it is said tired of socialism weary of wearing jaegers and broken down by teetotalism and vegetarianism sought some years ago an escape from them his adoption however of these attitudes had a decided commercial value which he did not think it advisable to prejudice by wholesale surrender therefore he in order to taste the forbidden joys of individualistic philosophy meat food and strong drink created chesterton this mammoth myth he decided should enjoy all the forms of fame which shaw had to deny himself outwardly 
he should be shaw's antithesis he should be beardless large in girth smiling of countenance and he should be licensed to sell paradoxes only in essay and novel form all stage and platform rights being reserved by shaw to enable the imposition to be safely carried out shaw hit on the idea of residence close to the tunnel which connects adelphi with the strand emerging from his house plain jaeger clad bearded and saturnine shaw he entered the tunnel in a cleft in which was a cellar here he donned the chesterton properties the immense padding of chest and so on the chesterton sombrero hat and cloak and pince-nez and there he left the shaw beard and the shaw clothes the shaw expression of countenance and all the shaw theories he emerged into the strand g k c in whose identity he visited all the cafes ate all the meats rode in all the cabs and smiled on all the sinners the day's work done the chesterton manuscripts delivered the proofs read the bargains driven the giant figure returned to the tunnel and once again was back in adelphi the shaw he was when he left it back to the eggers the beard the socialism the statistics and the sardonic letters to the times footnote from the bystander one september nineteen o nine end footnote bernard shaw is a man of unusual generosity but i think from his letters he must also be quite a good man of business g k was so greatly the opposite that g b s urged him again and again to do the most ordinary things to protect the literary rights of himself and others thus in the only undated letter in the whole packet he begs gilbert to back up the author's society my dear g k c i am one of the unhappy slaves who on the two big committees of your trade union the society of authors drudge at the heart-breaking work of defending our miserable profession against being devoured body and soul by the publishers themselves a pitiful gang of literature-struck impostors who are crumpled up by the booksellers who though small folk are at least in contact with reality in the shape of the book buyer it is a ghastly and infuriating business because the authors will go to lunch with their publishers and sell them anything for twenty pounds over the cigarettes but it has to be done and i with half a dozen others have to do it now i missed the last committee meeting electioneering i am here doing two colossal meetings of miners every night for keir hardy but the harassed secretary writes that it was decided to take proceedings in the case of a book of yours which you o esau esau sold to john john is a well no matter when you take your turn on the committee you will find him out and that though the german lawyer has had seven pounds and is going ahead seven pounds worth of law in germany takes you to the house of lords everything is hung up because you will not answer thring's letters footnote herbert thring was the barrister employed by the society of authors and footnote thring in desperation appeals to me concluding with characteristic simplicity that we must be friends because you have written a book about me as the conclusion is accidentally and improbably true 
i now urge you to give him whatever satisfaction he requires i have no notion what it is or what the case is about but at least answer his letters however infuriating they may be remember you pay thring only five hundred pounds for which you get integrity incorruptibility implacability and a disposition greatly to find quarrel in a straw on your behalf even with yourself and don't complain if you don't get twenty thousand pounds worth of tact into the bargain and your obligations to us wretched committee men are simply incalculable we get nothing but abuse and denigration authors weep with indignation when we put our foot on some blood-sucking widow-cheating orphan-starving scoundrel and ruthlessly force him to keep to his might of obligation under an agreement which would have revolted shylock unless the best men the good professionals help us we are lost we get nothing and spend our time like water for you all we ask you to do is to answer thring and let us get along with your work look here will you write to thring please write to thring i say have you written to thring yet g b s i doubt whether he had those chance sums he poured from time to time into francis's lap were usually not what they should have been an advance on a royalty orthodoxy he sold outright for one hundred pounds no man ever worked so hard to earn so little when later gilbert employed monsieur a p watt as his literary agents a letter to them undated of course and written on the old note-paper of his first battersea flat shows a mingling of gratitude to his agents with entire absence of resentment towards his publishers which might be called essence of chesterton the prices you have got me for books compared with what i used weekly to demand seem to me to come out of fairyland it seems to me that there is a genuine business problem which creates a permanent need for a literary agent it consists in this that our work even when it has become entirely a duty and a worry still remains in some vague way a pleasure and how can we put a fair price on what is at once a worry and a pleasure suppose someone comes to me and says i offer you sixpence for your history of the gnostic heresy why after all should i charge more than sixpence for a work it was so exuberant to write you on the other hand seeing it from the outside would say that it was worth so-and-so and you would get it shaw continued his attempts to stimulate the reluctant playwright two years after drafting the scenario he writes ten adelphi terrace west central fifth april nineteen twelve dear mrs chesterton i have promised to drive somebody to beaconsfield on sunday morning and i shall be in that district more or less for the rest of the day if you are spending easter at over roads and have no visitors who couldn't stand us we should like to call on you at any time that would be convenient the convenience of time depends on a design of my own which i wish to impart to you first i want to read a play to gilbert it began by way of being a music-hall sketch so it is not three and one-half hours long as usual 
i can get through it in an hour and a half i want to insult and taunt and stimulate gilbert with it it is the sort of thing he could write and ought to write a religious harlequinade footnote androcles and the lion evidently g b s End footnote. in fact he could do it better if a sufficient number of pins were stuck into him my proposal is that i read the play to him on sunday or at the next convenient date and that you fall into transports of admiration of it declare that you can never love a man who cannot write things like that and definitely announce that if gilbert has not finished a worthy successor to it before the end of the third week next ensuing you will go out like the lady in a doll's house and live your own life whatever that dark threat may mean if you are at home i count on your ready complicity but the difficulty is that you may have visitors and if they are pious gilbert will be under a tacit obligation not to blaspheme or let me blaspheme whilst they are beneath his roof my play is about christian martyrs and perfectly awful in parts and if they are journalists it will be necessary to administer an oath of secrecy i don't object to the oath and nothing would please gilbert more than to make them drink blood from a skull the difficulty is they wouldn't keep it in short they must be the right sort of people of whom the more the merrier forgive this long rigmarole it is only to put you in possession of what may happen if you approve and your invitations and domestic circumstances are propitious yours sincerely g bernard shaw chesterton at last did write magic but that belongs to another chapter like the demand for a play the theme of finance recurs with great frequency in shaw's letters and after magic appeared he wrote to frances telling her that in sweden where the marriage laws are comparatively enlightened i believe you could obtain a divorce on the ground that your husband threw away an important part of the provision for your old age for twenty pieces of silver in the future the moment he has finished a play and the question of disposing of it arises lock him up and bring the agreement to me explanations would be thrown away on him end of chapter fourteen part two